something that is surprising about me. It's that since four, I've always known what I've wanted. And so if you have a child or you yourself are that way, embrace it. It's okay to know what you want and go after it. Natalie Walton is the CEO and co-founder of Expectful, a holistic wellness app for hopeful, expecting, and new moms. In 2020, Natalie heard the words that no pregnant woman wants to hear, that she would likely not make it to full term. Knowing that stress reduction was an important part of keeping her and her baby safe, Natalie looked for a solution. She found it in Expectful. Coming up, how Natalie joined the Expectful team first as an advisor and then co-founder. She shares her fundraising tips and how she closed $4 million in capital in 90 days. Her advice on how to position your company for an acquisition. And finally, how Natalie negotiated the sale of Expectful to Babylist. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Natalie, I am so excited to sit down with you and hear your entire entrepreneurista journey and story. And I actually first found out about you and Expectful and the business actually on Instagram a few months ago when I saw a post about the acquisition and the fundraise. And I reached out because I knew that our listeners would be so excited to hear your entire journey and story. So thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me today. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Natalie, did you always know that you wanted to start a business or be a founder of the business when you were growing up? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was growing up, I definitely had entrepreneurial endeavors. When I was in college, I formed a little bit of an eBay business. And I really enjoyed fulfilling orders and paying attention to customer service. But I think for me, growing up in the 2000s and in the aughts, and I, I didn't really see a lot of entrepreneurs that looked like myself. So it wasn't really until much later in my career where I thought, oh, okay, I can actually really do this. What were you selling on eBay? I have to know. <laughs> selling a, a lot of musical instruments, but also I would go to Century 21, the department store, yeah. and I'd find shirts and it was like uh, sweaters and I'd find arbitrage opportunities where I could sell them for a 50% markup and also Uggs. Fun fact, I just threw out a pair of Uggs that I purchased 20 years ago when I was able to um, get bulk orders when they were the hottest thing ever and I, I resold them for a markup. I love that. No, I remember being in, when I was in college, I feel like that's when Uggs got super popular and you were just like going on the website and trying to see if they had them available. You couldn't find them anywhere. Yeah, no, I know. I had a Beanie Baby resale business when I was in middle school. That was a uh, hot commodities that I was, that I was selling. I always, I always had it in my blood. So I, <laughs> I always love to hear, you know, what was that initial like entrepreneurial moment from, from growing up. I, I love hearing these stories. So tell me about your career journey and what led you to be one of the co-founders of Expectful. 
Yeah. So I had um, maybe like a little bit more of a traditional career journey out of college. I studied finance and this was back in the last recession. And I found that I really did not like finance. The culture there I felt was toxic and I knew that I wanted something else for myself. And so I was invited to go to Stanford Business School, like a prospective students weekend. And it was at Stanford where for the first time in my life, I met these people that were calling themselves entrepreneurs and they were doing things that they were passionate about and successful. And I was... It started scratching my head because I didn't know that that was possible. I thought you had to take one of a couple of routes. You had to be an investment banker. Maybe you could be a consultant or maybe you'd work in marketing. But like the fact that you could cobble together your own career path was just, it was such an amazing discovery. But I think, like I mentioned, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. There weren't case studies around Black female founders in, in, at Stanford at the time. And um, I just chose a, a little bit of a safer route. So I, I went, to, I worked at eBay and their business incubation group, then at Google for many years, and then Airbnb. And in 2019, I was pregnant with my son. And I ended up having a high-risk pregnancy mm. where I was told I would not make it to term. And as you can imagine, that caused a tremendous amount of stress in my life. And I came across this app called Expectful. Expectful at the time was a meditation app for pregnancy. And even though I've been meditating for over 20 years, um, when I started doing Expectful's meditations, something in me stabilized and I actually made it to term, which was something that wow. none of my doctors thought was possible. Um, and so how I really got into entrepreneurship was fast forward. I'm on maternity leave. I have this opportunity to advise Expectful and I'm thinking, well, I've always wanted to get into entrepreneurship. This is super relevant to my life stage. I just use this product. Let me advise this company. And in advising the company, I was able to make an impact really quickly. And I formed a great relationship with the founder who asked me if I would consider coming on as a late stage co-founder and CEO. And so wow. that is how I became an entrepreneur. How did you make that initial connection to become an advisor for that company? So I saw a friend of mine I posted that Expectful was looking for a partnerships, like a director of partnerships. And at the time I was thinking, like, I just had a brand new baby. I, I'm pretty senior in my career. And I thought there's no way I would ever leave my company. I, I would never leave Airbnb to like yeah. join like a three person startup. Like I'm just risk averse. There's no way I was going to do it. But I, I said to myself, let me just explore here. Let me have a conversation. I, it was curiosity. And basically, after looking at the job description of what the person, what they needed, I realized, like, I can help you, but I can also help you very effectively in a couple of hours a week. So let me propose an advisory role. So, I mean, just full circle, how I found it was like there was another role and I talked them into creating a special role for me. So interesting. And when you were at Airbnb, what was your role there? What were you doing in your career? Yeah. So at the time that I was at Airbnb, I was kind of in a like a business operations role for Airbnb Lux and helping to grow the luxury business at Airbnb. And prior to that, I had been in product partnerships at Google for almost six years. And so I had really spent a lot of time in tech and e-commerce, particularly as at Google Shopping. So I um, knew the e-commerce space very well. So interesting. Okay. So now you come on as an advisor for Expectful. Tell me what happens next. How did you end up becoming a co-founder and CEO? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I was able to dive into the business pretty quickly because I've been, been doing product partnerships and biz dev my entire life. It's it's like a skill set. It's something like I think that I'm really excellent at this. I was able to map out a partnership landscape for Expectful. And I'd say like as a side note, the really cool thing about this opportunity was like working at a Google or an Airbnb, you are a little constrained by like what you can do. You have goals that you have to follow and and that you have to meet. And there's not a lot of creativity. And so when I came to Expectful and I, it was like really exciting because it was like I had a full canvas of like, if you can create your ideal partnership, what would it be? And so I was able to just come up with like a lot of very creative ideas. And as I just went out, I reached out to people and I got them done. And so because I had an impact quickly, the founder, I decided I wanted to leave Airbnb. If anyone remembers 2020 Airbnb, what an incredible journey, Brian Chesky, to turn their company around. But in the summer of Airbnb, in the summer of 2020, it, it was not a rosy picture given everything with the pandemic. And so I decided I wanted to leave. And I had offers from every single fine company to be like a senior product manager or a leader. And when I told the founder this, he said, Natalie, would you ever consider coming on to Expectful as a CEO, late stage co-founder? And it was something I never crossed my mind. But when he asked me that and I started doing my due diligence, I realized that, wow, this entrepreneurial path is so incredible. Just the the investors that I spoke to and the was amazing is that if you're working in a traditional company, let's say you're at Google or you're at Microsoft or even the Gap, and you ask someone for help, people might help you. But when you're leading a mission-driven company and you're like mm-hmm. trying to solve a problem, people will jump out of their seat to help yes. you. And I just the way that people were reacting to me when I was even contemplating taking on this role versus how people had reacted to me in my last decade plus career, I was like, there's something here. And it just kept me up at night. And uh, within a week, I decided, you know what, it's time. I need to figure this out. I need to do this. What were some of the first things you did when you took on the new role in the business? The first thing I had to do was fundraise, which was like really daunting because I had never fundraised. We were part of an incubator, Founders Factory, or we were in an accelerator, Founders Factory in New York, and they were incredibly helpful. But our time with them was running up. And as part of the program, they offered to give me fundraising support. So it was something I had to do from day one. And I joined and it's literally like, well, what's your pitch? What's your vision? And I'm thinking like, I just got here. How am I supposed (laughs) to figure this out? But through the help of the team and having a fundraising coach, I was able to close my seed round. I raised $4.2 million in my first 90 days on the job. And I had my first pitch on election day of 2020, awful day to have any pitch, any meetings. But that's when I had my first pitch. And by Thanksgiving, I had a term sheet and closed shortly thereafter. So I was just, I had to figure it out right away. Well, congrats because raising capital is not easy and raising capital as a woman in business, as we know, with all of the stats, the less than 2% of VC money is going to women. It's amazing what you've been able to accomplish. What are some of the learning lessons that you have from that period of time raising that $4 million over 90 days? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I have so many lessons. My first lesson, and this is something I encourage anyone to do, and it's something I've actually started assisting other founders in doing, is find a fundraising coach. If there's something that you never have done before, finding a coach is like the fastest shortcut that you can get to success. And your time is valuable. There are times in your life and as an entrepreneur where you just don't have the time to read 10 books, to have 50 coffee chats. Like you just need someone that you're paying that can that can like service you and hold your hand. And so I had a fundraising coach and like we just together we created an amazing story. I had got, I was able to get my practice reps in and then I was able to go out and nail it quite frankly because I had someone who was just holding my hand through every step of the way. So that's like my biggest advice is find that coach. And I've started coaching other founders on it because I, I like I like fundraising, which is probably not something that many people do <laughs> like, but um, it, it's, it's a necessary thing. And I would say the second thing is, is really just prepare your mindset for fundraising. Mm-hmm. Like I had an infant when I was fundraising, I was fundraising in a pandemic. It is a marathon. And if you set it up, properly. It's something that you can get done in a short sprint, but you need to have all of your energy ready to go. And you also need to be prepared for a lot of rejection and realize that it's a numbers game. It's not something that's personal. It's a numbers game. VCs are meant to reject you. They're not going to say yes to everyone. And so going into this with that mindset, I was able to shake off any no's and I think just have a faster journey to getting to yes. That is such great advice. And actually in our Entreprenista League, we have a fundraising coach and we have a group, a raising capital power group for our founders and our community that are raising capital. Because as you said, if you haven't done it before, there's so much to learn. And if someone can share with you how to do it and how to do it better and faster and more efficiently, it's like there's not a lot of time in the day. So definitely using all of those resources as well. I love that you said though, that you actually like fundraising. So I think I've only met two people so far in all the years that have said they, they love it. But, um, I think, you know, at the end, like, how did it make you feel once you finally closed that round? Like, what were you feeling? I was feeling relief. I think what, what's interesting from like a mental health perspective mm-hmm. is that you need to have a lot of adrenaline to fundraise mm-hmm. and, I don't know if actually my adrenaline ever stopped post fundraise because it's it's like you think that fundraising is hard, but then you are in your business and you're like, oh darn, I have to actually run this company, which is a lot more work than fundraising. And so it never ends. Like it was a relief that it was done, but then it was really like, wow, my work has just begun. And it was, you know, even though I thought fundraising was hard, running a business was much harder. I thought running the business was hard. Selling the company was like the hardest thing. So it's just an evolution of once you have proven yourself at one level, you get ready for what's next. And it's a continual battle of strength. Up next, why being a purpose-driven founder led to Expectful's acquisition. Natalie, I would love to hear more about the process of now selling the business. So you raised this money in 2020. We're now early 23. To me, it seems like, oh my gosh, that's like such a quick amount of time to raise capital, grow the business, sell the business. Like what was the thought process behind selling the business so soon? Yeah. So I think that 
I first had the thought that I wanted to sell the business a little over a year ago. So now we're talking about one year post raise. And I think that as entrepreneurs and founders, it's, it's like you really have to evaluate your situation. You have to evaluate the market and listen to signals and signs. And you have to define what is most important to you. And for me, what was most important was having an impact. I am a mission-driven founder. I am a Black woman who really suffered in my pregnancy and childbirth experience because of my race. And there's just a lot of inequity in birth in the U.S. And I wanted to create a solution that would change that. And as I became, as I got more and more into my founder role and started Speaking with our users, I've had hundreds of conversations with our users. I found out that basically half of the births in the U.S. happen on Medicaid. And so when I was talking to users who would signed up for Expectful's free trial, these are women who desperately needed mental health mm-hmm. support. They signed up for Expectful's free trial. They used it every day. And then they didn't sign up. Something in my brain checked and I said, I need to chat more with these women. I need to understand why they're using our product and why they're not signing up. Mm. And I had dozens and dozens of interviews and the same thing kept coming up. And they'd say, I loved using your product. My mental health is in shambles. I need this. But this month I'm between paying for gas or groceries and I can't afford your $6 a month membership. And even though we have a scholarship program, that information just kept coming up and up to me. And I realized that being a mother in America is so broken. Like if you can't feed your family or you can't get to work, then I hate to say it, but mental health is almost a luxury and it should never be a luxury. And so as a mission-driven founder, it really like, it became my purpose to figure out how can I get expectable into the hands of as many people as possible without Mm -hmm. being beholden to having to charge for this. Or like, can we get creative on how we scale in terms of revenue streams? And so for me, continuing to raise venture capital and sticking to the framework that is necessary in in venture capital, Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense. But I saw that there was an equally attractive, if not more attractive path at an acquisition. Expectable Ice knew could help another company and it could help the entire world of women giving birth. And so it was then that I decided what is my mission and what is our impact? And it was it was to have that, a global impact. And so that's why we sought out a sale and we sold Babylist, who is an incredible partner. And we're just doing wonderful things with the app together. That's incredible. Can you share more about the acquisition process? So now you've made the decision, you want to find that perfect partner to get expectful in the hands of more women, have more reach. How did you go about doing that? And tell me all the behind the scenes, because I know uh, selling a business is not an easy process. Yeah, no, you're right. Selling a business is not an easy process. I mean, I think that as entrepreneurs, you should always have in your back pocket, like who are the 10 people or the 10 companies who I'd want to acquire your company, like always have that. And from the day that I joined, I had in my mind, these are some people that I would want to acquire us. And, and maybe I have that framework because I'm a biz dev partnership person. I'm always thinking about partnerships, 
But I think coming into the business with that mentality, I was able to form great relationships with potential acquirers early on. And so that way, our acquirers could get to know me as a leader, they could get to know our company, our brand and our team. And so I'd really say that the acquisition process started that day I joined when I started having those initial conversations and building out those relationships. And when I came time when I decided I want to sell, I was able to easily help the companies that we wanted to acquire us understand why this would be a win-win for everyone. And so it, it was a process that started a long time ago. Did you work with a banker or an outside company to help manage that process as well? I did. I did work with a banker to manage the process. I think that in terms of like, how would I say this for the future or for other people is that it depends on your background. Mm -hmm. My background is in biz dev. It's in sales. I can negotiate. I've negotiated like multi-million dollar agreements before, um, can do it in my sleep and I work well with my lawyers. If you have that, I'd say don't work with a banker. You know, it just slows it down. But for someone who's like a very technical person or has never done it and doesn't feel comfortable around contracts, doesn't feel comfortable negotiating, then maybe it's worth hiring a banker. But I would say that probably most entrepreneurs at some point have to get comfortable with that. Mm. So I'd say that unless you're like a really big company, maybe like at Series B or later, you probably, this is something I would advocate that someone could do on their own. Interesting. So tell me about the process itself. Like, were you talking to several different companies and then narrowed it down to baby list? Like, what was that whole process like? It's a process. They call it a process for a reason. It is a long process. (laughs) And, you know, it's a formal process with dates that you'd adhere to, like you I, I think we decided to work with an investment banker in last spring and I had a calendar, like color-coded calendar. These are the weeks that we're going to focus on building the SIM, which is the confidential information memorandum. And here are the weeks that we're going to go out to partners. And so it's like a very traditional process, which I think frustrates probably many entrepreneurs because <laughs> no entrepreneur gets to where they are because they follow processes. It's Correct. Just like, <laughs> they just do it. So that's, that's what's frustrating, you know? But so yeah, it was, it was like a process that we followed of like, here's a step-by-step process that bankers are trained on. And like, here's the textbook process. And yeah, I mean, that's what it's like working with a banker. What is it like now that you've completed the acquisition process and have now partnered with Babyless? It's phenomenal. I mean, I could not have really thought of a better company to work with than Babylist. Um, I was just filling out the, um, the I think every, every company has like a pulse survey of, of like how you like a company and like, what, what can we do better? And I was just scratching my head that in the like my 15 year career, this was the first time where like, I had nothing constructive to say about a company. I I was like, you know, you guys are are nailing it. And so it's inspirational to be at Babyless. It's beautiful to see what they're doing with the app and how they plan to grow it and how they plan to have an impact with it, which is what I cared about most. So this is just such an incredible outcome for me and for the company, for our team and for women. How big was the team when you were acquired? Yeah. So the team when we were acquired was roughly around 15 people and the team, everyone came over. 
That's amazing. Is everyone fully integrated now and like working from their office or is everyone working remotely? What is the... Babylist is a remote first company and they do that very well, actually. (laughs) It's a great place to work. It's not that I work on like trying to sell you, but it's really a fantastic place to work. And everyone is just, we're thrilled to be at Babylist. It's a hidden gem. Well, congratulations. It's it's so incredible. I have to ask you some questions about sales and business development now because so many entrepreneurs, no matter what company they have created, you have to be able to sell something, whether it's a product, your app, your services, and forming brand partnerships can be a really incredible way to be able to expedite growth in any business. And you've mentioned a few times you are basically the queen of sales and partnerships. What are some tips that you can share with our entrepreneurs who are looking to build out brand partnerships or just need more tips on how do they sell better? Yeah. I, so I think that it's a great question. I mean, one, it's, there's two things I'd say is storytelling is just have a great story and have a good why. I come across a lot of founders also like as an angel investor and whatnot. And the best founders and the best salespeople like have a personal story. They have a why of why you want to be on their team and root for them. And so I think upfront spending that time to figure out your why and like create a compelling story, it's the best use of your time. The other thing I'd say is like my quote or something that inspires me is you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I take shots all of the time. Some that I'm like, whoa, did I really just take that shot? And I'm kind of shocked if you develop that mentality of how many like unexpected wins you can get. And so I think developing that mentality of not being afraid to fail and a no is never a permanent no. That is what will really help you do well in sales and partnerships because you're going to get a lot of rejection and like just it, it's a, the, as the more no's you get, it probably means you're closer to a yes and just have that mentality. Totally. I say that all the time. I actually love getting no's. I mean, I like yes is better, but I love getting no's because then I can ask follow-up questions and ask why and find out more information and then we can make things better going forward. So I'm with you. You just have to be resilient. Can't give up. Just have to keep going to get to that yes. Yes. Coming up, Natalie shares her tips on how you can generate more sales in your business. All right, Natalie, this is one of my favorite parts of our uh, interview here. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yes. How would your friends describe you in three words? It's improper. I am intense and I am organized. What is the craziest thing that has happened to you in business? The people that I meet. I meet people, stars, people that I've admired my entire life. And I think that whenever I I meet someone that I've admired, I find that to be crazy. Who was the most, you know, exciting person that you met that you were just like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Oh my gosh. I, for me, it's really more about entrepreneurs. I recently met Arlen Hamilton and I remember reading her book when I was contemplating, do I become a founder? And I just had like a a sit down meeting with her. And I'm just thinking three years after I read this beautiful book that inspired me to become who I am today, I get to meet the person because you inspired me to do the work that I did. That was just like a credible full circle moment. What is your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? I hate to say 
Instagram, but I'm not going to say Instagram. It is zero. I really enjoy zero, which it's like an intermittent fasting app for health. It helps me like inter- do intermittent fasting. Very cool. I'll have to look that up. I didn't even know about that one. What is your favorite business tool that you've used that has helped you grow your business? I love using Canva. I, it's, I mean, part of how I've been successful at Expectful is, is our social media. We've had like 175,000 followers on Instagram and uh, I mean, we're a content company and Canva just allows you to create so many cool tools. It is definitely the best. I don't know what we did before Canva. So I'm with you on that one. Final rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden talent? I wish I could say I had a hidden talent. I think that um, perhaps my resilience is a hidden talent <laughs> because I, uh, the amount of things that I juggle, um, it's probably, I want to say in some sense, a supernatural. So it's, it's resilience. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Back to our regular questions now. What is your schedule like now? You know, if you're working, if you're not working, what is your day-to-day like? Yeah, so I'm with Babylist right now and overseeing our integration and also working on a couple of special projects for Babylist. My schedule now is is much calmer than it was um, as a founder. And it's something where I think Babylist does really pride themselves on making sure that people just work 40 hours a week, which is so rare. And like to be in an environment where people don't email at night and on the weekends is incredibly rare. But because I'm a mother to a three-year-old, I still feel like I don't have much time. I mean, my free time is is spent caring for a child and weekends are never a truly time off because I have my other job as a mom. So even though I work less than I used to as an entrepreneur, I still don't have a lot of time for myself. Are there certain things that you do to prioritize taking some time for yourself? I know for me, I really try, I try really hard to even just put some things in the calendar to just like go out and get a manicure or take a bath. And if I don't put it in the calendar, I don't do it. Are there certain things that you try to make time for? I do. I mean, I, to be fair, like I exercise five or six times a week. There are times where on a weekend, like I will just drop my son off at his grandfather's house and I'll say like, you need to watch <laughs> your grandson while I go to yoga. Um, so I do prioritize fitness. And also like I, I have, my, my son is in daycare. I have yeah. um, a supportive partner and I have near family nearby. So I do prioritize myself. It's, it's essential, but it's, it's not easy. I mean, I think there's just a stage in life where you are, where I say this all the time is if my son gets sick and he can't go to school, it's so disruptive. Like I feel that my life is almost in shambles. And if that happens multiple weeks on end, which it does, there's been a lot of viruses this year. It's really tough. And so I, the way I'm viewing it is like, it's just a tougher period in life. What has surprised you most about being an entrepreneur and also raising a family at the same time? As an entrepreneur, so I, I took over Expectful when my son was an infant. He was I started advising when he was three months and I came on board when he was about nine months full time. I've been in banking in the last recession. Um, that was a time where I had to work a tremendous amount. I've worked at you know a, a lot of companies that require immense amounts of work. 
I've never worked harder than I have as a founder. I mean, putting in consistent 70 hour weeks. Um, and then doing that with a child, I just didn't even know what was possible. And so I think what I learned about entrepreneurship is that if you find something where like you have a purpose and a passion and it is just connected to your own raison d'etre, like it will fuel you no matter what. And so, I mean, I would do this again and again and again, because finding that purpose is like, it's just so enlightening. Totally. Do you have a mantra or quote that you live your life by? So I'm reading Viola Davis's Finding Me book right now. And um, I read this quote that today that really resonates with me. And it's, may you live long enough to find your purpose for being Mm -hmm. born. And um, that is something that just sticks with me and that like I got chills in my spine when I read that because I I think, you know, when we find our purpose and your purpose is always evolving, it just, it sheds a new life in in your your life. And so that is something I'm starting to live by. But prior to that, I would say you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Oh, I love that. Thank you for, for sharing both of those too. What would our listeners be surprised to learn about you today? Okay. This really says a lot about my personality. This is my fun fact that I share with people. My name is Natalie and it is spelled with an H. So it's N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. But I was born spelled with Natalie with spelling the American way, which is N-A-T-A-L-I-E. And when I was four years old, my parents went to Paris and they brought me back a bracelet with the French spelling of Natalie. And I liked the name so much that at four years old, I demanded that my name be legally changed. So if that is something that is surprising about me, it's that since four, I've always known what I've wanted. And so if you have a child or you yourself are that way, embrace it. It's okay to know what you want and go after it. Absolutely. So I feel like a lot of times I'll hear parents saying like, oh, my daughter is so bossy. And I'm like, no, 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 stop saying that. It's it's assertive. You know what you want and you go after it. It's not bossy. It's assertive. (laughs) It is a necessary skill. And I think that, I mean, I see that now as raising a child. It's like, there's a lot of things that you know, picky or like things that you say, like these aren't, these aren't positive attributes. They later in life are like what lead to leaders and lead to having these robust personalities. So it's okay to embrace things that you might not view as positive traits. They are positive. Absolutely. I know. I see it so much in my daughter and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, she sees what I do every day and she comes in here. She's like, I want to work. I want to do that. Instead of saying like, no, 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 you can't do that. It's like, come on in, come do it. Like whatever you want to do and you have the passion for go do it. (laughs) Yes. Natalie, I feel like I could chat with you all afternoon, but I have one final question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista to me means being free. I've always wanted freedom in my life. And I feel that being an entrepreneur, I truly am free to define what matters to me and why. 
You definitely are. And thank you for sharing so much valuable insight and information and your story with our community. And congratulations on all you've accomplished. And I can't wait to see what you are going to continue to do next. And so excited for for the acquisition and all that's going to come now from Expectful. Where can everyone find you, follow you for those that are interested in downloading the app? Where should they head to? Yes. So I highly recommend that you download Expectful, which is E-X-E-P-C-T-F-U-L. You can find us on the App Store, Google Play, or on Apple App Store. Um, Download Babylist. It is an amazing resource. And if you're looking to find me personally, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Natalie with a T, T T-H, so N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-W-A-L-T-O-N on Instagram. I'm also that on LinkedIn. And I'm recently launching a website. It's nataliewalton.com. So it's N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-W-A-L-T-O-N.com. And you can find all my information there. Amazing. We will link out to everything in the show notes below to make it easy for everyone to find. So thank you again, Natalie, for being here and sharing your story. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.